Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. The aim with this new series that we're starting is to increase our hunger for face-to-face encounters with God. And it's to explore the pathway to holiness through worship using the tabernacle of Moses as our guideline to our encounters with Jesus. So you'll be learning a few, hopefully a lot of things that will be helpful for you in this journey that we're on in holiness. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the Bible says that no man comes to the Father except through Jesus. He is the doorway to the Father. So we'll be looking at the Tabernacle of Moses during this series and different pieces of furniture week by week and what they signify, what they symbolize. And you might be asking this morning, why the Tabernacle of Moses? It's 3,500 years old or more. How can it possibly be relevant to me today? But you know, the Bible says in Hebrews 8 verse 5, That the tabernacle of Moses, that God gave detailed instruction to Moses how to construct, is a copy of what is in heaven. And Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. What is in heaven... And this picture is of the tabernacle is just a shadow. It's just a picture of the real thing in heaven. So there's so much we can learn from it. In fact, there's so much symbolism that is carried on throughout the, the tabernacle, as you will see. And we're going to do a virtual tour, a quick three-minute one, where we're going to be looking at, and I'm just going to explain a little bit so you have an overview of the tabernacle. But one thing we see when we look at the tabernacle is that it speaks of Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah. The colors, the furniture, the activities, everything that happened in that place was a picture that was pro- portraying Jesus Christ. And we're going to learn more about that during this series. It's also a picture of the protocol in worship. It's been mentioned a few times this morning as well. God is a great and awesome God. And when you approach somebody as great and awesome as him, even much less dignitaries here on earth, we come with certain protocol, not so? And in the same way, when we come before God, there's a protocol that God has taught us on how to approach his presence in the right way. Again, the tabernacle is also a picture of our human personality, the outer court speaking of our body, the holy place of our soulish realm, our mind, our will, and our emotions. And the holy of holies is our spirit man. And we're going to look at that journey in holiness as we um, move forward over the next weeks. Another interesting thing, and you'll see that when we go through the virtual tour, is all the different colors. God really likes colors, and he's put a lot of color into the tabernacle, which is beautiful because if you think of the time when this was designed, it was in the desert. There was no color. There was just sand everywhere. And yet, with this beautiful, bright tabernacle, there were different colors, and all those colors represented Jesus. The red represents the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God. The the purple, it signifies his royalty, the royalty of Jesus Christ. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The white speaks of purity and holiness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then we have the blue, it speaks of the divinity of Jesus He's the son of God. He came from heaven to earth. 
and the glory speaks. Yeah, the gold speaks of the glory of God, the manifest presence of God, and Jesus' royalty as well. So you see all these colors, and maybe you don't realize that, but when we fly these flags here in the morning, we're declaring in the heavens who God is and who he represents, who Jesus is to us. Amen? So, guys, over at the tech, shall we try and roll our video? Now here, as we look, we see that we are approaching the tent of meeting and that's the outer court that was constructed of white curtains on 60 posts. There's some sound in the background, guys, which speaks of the righteousness and the holiness of the coming Messiah, who is the meeting place between God and man. We're to enter the gates of thank with thanksgiving, and Jesus is that gate. He is that door. No one comes to the Father except through him. The piece, first piece of furniture that we see in the outer court is the bronze altar here where sacrifices were made. Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it's a picture of the cross, the place of redemption, and the place where we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. It was made of bronze. We speak of the judgment of God on sin. Then we have the bronze lava here, and that was filled with water for washing clean before entering into the holy place. It speaks of the sacrifice through the word of God. Jesus is the word made flesh. The outer court speaks of our bodies. Now the tabernacle was constructed of wood panels overlaid with gold and set in silver sockets. And there were two compartments in here. And the first compartment was the holy place, which we see here. And in here, there were three pieces of golden furniture. Gold speaks of the glory of God. And you can see the walls there with gold and the ceiling with linen, with embroidered cherubim and the colors that represent God. These, this place also speaks of our soul. And the first piece of furniture we see there is a table of showbread. Jesus is the bread of life. It's also the place where God deals with our rebellion and our self-will, bringing us to a place of surrender to God. The lampstand, which is on this side, or the candlestick, it speaks of Jesus, the light of the world. There was no outside light in this place. The only light they had was this candlestick. And it depicts our minds and how we need the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds with the revelation truth in order for us to worship in spirit and truth. Then we have the altar of incense, the third piece of furniture, and it speaks of Christ, our intercessor. It speaks of the offering of adoration with our emotions, the high praises of God, and a thin veil with cherubim's um, embroidered on, separated the holy place here from the very holy of holies. And in this third compartment, this compartment in here, the holy of holies, it was completely dark. The only light was when the Shekinah glory of God descended in that place. And this is the place where one piece of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant, had the mercy seat on. And there were angels, cherubim, bowing in worship before him. And God said, here between the wings of the cherubim, that's where I'll meet with you. And there were three different articles there as well, which were in the Ark of the Covenant, which we won't go into more detail about now. But this was just a brief overview for you of 
the tabernacle of Moses and some of the things that we'll be looking at, what the relevance is for us in our pursuit of holiness. And that is my introduction today. My title is The Pursuit of Holiness. Why should we desire to be holy? What's the big deal? When in Hebrews 14 and verse 14, the Bible says, Make every effort to be holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So if we want to see the Lord, if we want to perceive Him in all of His glory, it requires us to grow in holiness. And this is not something that happens in a day. It's a, a walk that we do. It's a journey. And as we become more like Him, as we're made more holy, we come to see Him more and more for who He is. The tabernacle that we were looking at before, it was made of gold, but over the top of it, it had three um, coverings made of animal skins. And when you stood on the outside and you looked at the tabernacle, it didn't look special. It didn't look very appealing at all. And that's kind of what it's like with worship. When you're an outsider and you're just looking on from outside, you're like, what's the big deal? But this is the beautiful thing. When you draw near to the glory of God and when you come into his presence, as is depicted by the tabernacle coming into the holy place and the holy of holies, you're just surrounded by the glory of God and the beauty of God. And worship is a personal experience. You can't learn it from someone else. That encounter with God is a personal one-on-one -on -one thing that God wants you to experience with Him. And once you have tasted the goodness of God, it will make you spoiled for anything less. And it will cause a greater hunger in you for more of Him and more of His glory in your life. There's a guy by the name of St. Augustine he was considered by many to be one of the greatest Latin fathers and one of the most eminent doctors in the Western church. And for over a thousand years, actually, the church based a lot of their understanding and foundation upon his teachings and his writings. <clears throat> so he was a very holy man. And I don't know if any of you have read some of his writings, but he is a guy we studied at Bible school as well. At the end of his life, as he lay on his deathbed, Surrounded by his closest friends, his breathing stopped, his heart failed, and a great peace filled the room as he went to be with the Lord. But suddenly, he reopened his eyes, and with his ashen face now flushed with light, he spoke and said, I have seen the Lord. Everything I have written is but straw. That beauty, the glory of God and who he really is, is so mind-blowing. It's beyond what our little minds can even fathom. And that's why God has to give it to us in little bits and little bits. As we grow in holiness, he can reveal his glory to us in a greater measure. So God is far bigger. He's far more wonderful and more powerful than the sum of everyone's knowledge of him. Our God is so great. We can't even begin to understand it. A week ago, I watched um, a clip together with the praise team from a church 
called Fresh Start Church in Arizona, where they're experiencing revival. And the praise leader there, she was um, sharing about her first experience when she was leading worship one day, and the glory of God came down, and they felt the tangible presence of God. And she said, after that day, she never wanted anything less. And if you see the way she leads praise and worship, she is so intentional because she wants to break through into his throne room and meet with him face to face. And they have experiences time and again in their church where they can't get up. They fall flat on their faces. They say the glory of God is so heavy, is so intense in the place that they can't even stand in his presence. They can't, they just flat on the floor for long periods of time in worship as his presence comes near, as his love, as his embrace in their lives. Oh, that we may hunger and thirst for more of God, that we may experience an open church, God's manifest presence and his glory. Amen. Think of yourself as one about to take a journey. And like all expeditions, our journey starts with a departure. Long before we ever arrive at holiness, we must depart from self-righteousness and pride. Every one of us may make, have to make this decision. If we would truly live in the presence of God, we must first travel the way of humility and truth. So my first point today is humility precedes holiness. Humility. We need to forsake pride. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Another translation says, For I am gentle and humble in heart. So the holiest man to walk on the face of this earth described himself as meek and lowly. And he said, learn of me. Holiness is a product of grace. It's the grace of God. We can't change ourselves and make ourselves holy. It is his grace at work in our lives. But the Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Amen. So when we choose to walk in humility before God, His grace is made available in our lives for Him to be able to do that work of grace in our lives and make us more like Himself. Because all of us are confronted at times, many times, over and over in our lives, with the impurities of our own heart. In fact, sometimes we can think we're pretty okay, we're not too bad. The guy next to me is a lot worse than me, thank God. I'm all right. But there are times when God's conviction, the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us, and we get so moved by our own sinfulness, the impurities of our heart. When the Holy Spirit reveals our sinfulness, it's not to condemn us. It is to establish humility and to deepen the knowledge, our knowledge and personal need of Him. And it is at this crossroad, this place where God brings conviction in our lives, it's at this crossroads that both holy men and hypocrites are bred. Because what happens is that when we come to this junction in our lives, for us to become holy, we need to see our need and fall prostrate before God. Asking him for deliverance. 
But those who become hypocrites are those who, seeing their sin, excuse it and remain intact. So when God reveals something to us, we always do one of two things. We respond in humility and allow the grace of God to do a work in our hearts. Or we harden our hearts against it. And in the end, we become a hypocrite. We all come to this junction in life. And there are not a lot of people who embrace the voice of truth and walk humbly towards true holiness. But may that be our choice that we desire holiness. Let's remember that Jesus never condemned sinners, but he condemned hypocrites. Yeah? And in fact, the greatest enemy of true holiness is religion, self-righteousness, pride, hypocrisy. A hypocrite is someone who excuses his own sin while condemning the sins of another. And many times, I think, in our journey, if we're honest with ourselves, we've been there ourselves. We look at others, and we see their sin so much bigger than our own. It's so easy to see other people's faults. And so often, without Holy Spirit's help, we can't even see our own. Sanctification starts not with rules, but with forsaking pride. Purity begins with our determined refusal to hide the condition of our hearts. Are we willing to let God, Holy Spirit, shine his light on our hearts? Because the church is full of self-righteous people. And every time we judge and criticize one another, we become like the people Jesus warned against in Luke chapter 18, where he said they're confident of their own um, righteousness, but they look down on everybody else. That's not holiness. That's what often the world depicts as holiness, but that's not true holiness. Because hypocrites love to judge and makes them feel superior. I'm not so bad if I can point a finger at somebody else. But Jesus does not condemn us. He wants to save us. He's full of love and mercy. And in John chapter 8, if you remember that story where the Pharisees, the hypocrites of Jesus' day, they brought a woman that was caught in sin of adultery. And the law said that by, according to the law, she should have been stoned for what she did. And what was Jesus' response? He said to the Pharisees, rather than challenging the woman, he challenged the Pharisees, the hypocrites first, and said, whoever of you who is without sin... Let him be the first to throw the stone. Because Jesus' heart was riled up against hypocrisy. Because God can't help us when we're proud. Only when we're humble. So they got convicted, the Pharisees, and they walked away one by one. And eventually Jesus looked up at the, the lady who was left there and said, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. So Jesus did not condemn the woman, but he condemned the sin. And that's what he does in our lives as well. He loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us the way we are. But he, God's desire is to transform us into the image of Christ. I remember when I was at Bible school, the very first day at Bible school, one of our lecturers said to us, 
you're in one of the most dangerous places in the world. Because when you sit under the word of God, the word of God is living and it's active. So it will accomplish something in your life. And what determines what it will accomplish is the condition of your heart. And he gave a picture of clay and butter. And when clay and butter are in the sun, the one melts and the other hardens. And he, he prophesied over us and said, there are some in this group here who will respond to the word of God and their lives will be transformed into the image of Christ. And there's others here who instead of hearing the word and receiving it and allowing it to change them, they'll harden their heart against it and they will walk away from this place hardened and even turn their back on God. So, number one, humility precedes holiness. We need to choose. I want to walk in humility. Number two, second point in our pursuit of holiness, leaving the familiar. We need to leave the familiar. Let's read Exodus chapter 33, verse 7 to 11. I think it's the other verse first. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp. That's right. Some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Now, this is also a tent of Moses, so that you don't get confused. Before uh, Moses constructed the tabernacle, this was how he met with God. Before God gave him the instructions how to build the tabernacle, this is how Moses worshipped. He used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went in, the pillar of the cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. If we're going to seek God... If we want to grow in holiness, seek his face, we need to do like Moses. We need to go out of the camp, some distance away. The camp that we're talking about here is a camp of familiarity. It's the things, the routines, the things that are familiar to us in our everyday um, life. It's not that the familiar is necessarily sinful, but Jesus knows that by nature, we're unconsciously governed by all that's familiar. If God is going to expand us to receive the eternal, he must rescue us from the limitations of the temporal. And that's why we have to go out of the camp, out of the familiar, to seek his face. God has given us all the same amount of time. But in this day and age that we live in, we always feel like we don't have enough time. There's so much we want to do and so little time to do it. But God has given all of us equal time. 
And what we need to do and learn to do is to redeem time. Find time to step out of the familiar. Those who would find God, find time. Amen. For most people, their security is rooted in what is familiar. And we always gravitate towards what is familiar. In fact, worldwide, the majority of people never move more than 60 kilometers away from their birthplace. Isn't that amazing? The majority of people. And that's because we're like umbilically connected to whatever is familiar, whatever we know well. And we got this routine, eat, sleep, work, eat, sleep, work, or eat, sleep, study, or eat, sleep, school. And our lifestyle can become a chain of bondage that may not necessarily trap us in sin, but it keeps us from God. We become so busy that God doesn't have a chance. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 6, when you go to pray, close the door. What he's trying to say is, go away from all the busyness, all the things that distract you. Get away from your familiar surroundings. And I would encourage you in this season, as we are in, in pursuit of holiness and um, growing in worship and holiness, that you find time in your regular schedule, find time to get away from the usual. Go for a walk with the Lord on your own. Or instead of being on social media, put your phone away and spend a bit of time with him. Or decide to do some fasting. Do something out of the ordinary to say, God, I've set my face to seek you. Because those who seek him will be found by him. God has promised that to us. If you're going to become holy, we must sever the chains and restraints and the bondage of desiring just an average life. We need to hunger and thirst for righteousness and hunger and thirst for his glory. If we don't have that hunger in our hearts, that's a good place to start. God, give me a hunger for you and for your presence and for your glory. Because God would love to answer that prayer in your life. And actually, from all those prayer requests that we got from many of you a few weeks back that we've got in, in there, many of you said, I hunger to know God better. I want to know him. I want to grow in him. I want to learn his word. There's that hunger in so many of your lives and that is what we were praying over today and will continue to pray over, that God will answer those prayers in your life, even during this season in your life. Number three, we need to embrace truth. As we draw close, the fire of his presence begins a deep purging work within us. And in the vastness of God's riches, our poverty appears. How many of you can relate to that when you draw near to God and you see him in all his beauty and holiness? All of a sudden, that shining bright light of God makes all the dirt show up in your life. And where you thought that you just were okay, all of a sudden you realize, oh my, God have mercy upon me. <laughs> I am a sinner. We just realize that that conviction comes as we are in his presence. Psalms 24, verse 3 to 4 says, Who may climb? No, sorry, not, not just wait with the scripture. I'm going to read this one first. Psalms 24. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? 
who may stand in his holy place. Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. So it is only the pure in heart who will perceive God. To ascend towards God is to walk into a holy furnace of truth, where falsehood is distracted from our souls. To abide in this holy place is to dwell in a place of honesty. And that's what God desires for truthfulness to be deep inside of us. Each ascending step as we go towards the hill of God is a thrusting of our souls into greater transparency before him. A more perfect view of the motives in our hearts. Our souls are hidden within us. We can't see our souls on the outward. It's in, hidden inside of us. But it is so often it is crouching in fear and in darkness, living in a world of untruths and illusions. And it's this inner man that God seeks to save. And it is as we draw near to him in worship and allow him to gaze upon us that he's able to challenge us, challenge us in these areas of our lives where we need him to purge us from everything that is untruthful. It is truthfulness that leads to holiness. Without a desire for truth, we cannot grow in holiness. So men everywhere claim to know the truth. Isn't that amazing? So many people claim to have the truth and know the truth, but they have no holiness in their life and no power. So it's not a mere knowledge in our head, truth, just knowing the right doctrines that makes us holy. But the Bible says that Jesus is the truth. Truth is knowing God's heart as it was revealed in Christ. And in knowing our own hearts in the light of his grace. Many times we want to look deep inside of us and fix ourselves and put things right that are wrong inside of us. But actually it is in finding him that we discover ourselves. The more we go into him, he can reveal the truth of ourselves and purge us. And his grace is able to transform us into his image more and more. Because the Bible says in Jeremiah 17 that our heart is deceitful above all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? You can't even understand your own soul. You can't even understand the depths, the motives of your own heart. But God can. And he wants to cleanse us and make us more like himself. There are errors inside of us that may be ruling us without our own awareness. Our fallen thinking processes automatically justify our actions and they rationalize our thoughts. So without the Holy Spirit, we are nearly defenseless against our own innate tendencies towards self-deception. We need Holy Spirit in our lives. So holiness is not about pretending to be righteous, but it's about embracing the truth. And I know in this journey, I know in my own life, there's one scripture. That I, can we go back to that? Uh, search me, oh God. 
and know my heart. There's a scripture there on number three. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is such a beautiful prayer. And it's a prayer that I encourage you to pray over and over again in your life. I've found in my own life that when I've invited the Holy Spirit in in this way and said, God, search me, search my heart. When I pray this, sometimes when I'm reading the word, I'm like, oh, that's great. And I can think of other people who need to hear this. But I don't necessarily feel the conviction myself. And I'll walk away from that time. But because I've invited the Holy Spirit to search me, He will grab me at the most inopportune times when I least expect it. Just when I'm about to brush my teeth, the Holy Spirit drops a thought in. And suddenly He reveals something in my heart. I'm like, what? I never saw that before, God. And conviction. And you know what? With every time that God reveals truth into your soul... And you get that conviction. At the same time, His grace flows into that situation for forgiveness, for restoration, for making you more like Himself. I remember sometimes just recently when I was dropping Ethan at school and leaving school, suddenly while I was there on the road, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And I was so shook by what He said about what was in my own heart that I'd never seen myself. I had to park the car and say, God, forgive me. But it starts with this prayer. Ask God to search your heart. Ask Him to create in you a clean heart, and He will. You know, the Bible says about Jesus that He is full of grace and truth. So not only will He reveal truth to you as you desire it, but He'll give you the grace in your life to overcome. And many times we run away from God because we don't want to know the truth about ourselves. We don't want God to expose our hearts. But you know, He knows the depths of your soul, and yet He loves you completely. And His desire is just to restore you to Himself and to the glory that God has for you as His child. What God's truth demands, His grace will provide. Whatever His truth demands, His grace will provide in your life. Hallelujah. You know, there's a scripture that says it's God who works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. Sometimes we're in that place where we're so far from God, we don't even hunger for him. But it's even God who works that hunger into our life. It's both him who works in us a will and a desire for him. So if that's where you're at in your life today, we're going to end right now soon with a song. And as this song plays, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Invite him in. As we go in this pursuit of holiness, let's embrace humility. Let's decide that in this season, we're going to take moments out of our familiar um, situations to go a distance away, to be alone with Him, and allow God to minister more deeply in your life. Let's use this opportunity as well to embrace truth in our lives and welcome God in our lives. <laughs>